0: by the second psalm and the rebels' voices in verse 3. They get together in a little huddle and they say to themselves, let's conspire together to rebel against God's rule over life. They say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us Psalm 2, verse 3. Please notice that they view God's boundaries created for our good as stifling bonds, as cords that have put them in a prison. What they want is to break out from that and have freedom away from the tyranny of subjection to God. Now, Clearly from Psalm 2, the spirit of our age called by those who study it, expressive individualism. Clearly it wasn't created last year by us in Western culture. Is not that spirit present in Psalm 2, 3? For the psalmist giving voice to the spirit of his age saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. This quest to be autonomous from God is age old. And isn't it true that it got its start in the garden when Adam and Eve hiked out thinking their way was better than God's? By the way, how how did that work for us? Not very well. Our son, our second son, Ben, Uh, I remember an extraordinary week in his life. Um, He was leaving home for college. That's a critical week. You know, we were all feeling it and getting him all ready to leave. Well, uh, he was going out of state to go to college. So Andy and I bought him a used car. And so that week, he got a car. One really smart thing we did was as our kids went off to college, we uh, had them sign up for a credit card. And they paid it off every 30 days. When they graduated from college, had a really good credit score and were set up in good stead. And he got a credit card. He got a car, a credit card, stuffed his shorts in the car, and had his freedom and went out of state to college. And we were so proud of him. Now, our kids are not perfect, but we were really pleased with how he handled his freedom. And that was quite a week. He got a car, a credit card, and he left Hope and um, uh, had his freedom. You and I have watched kids go off to college. And by the way, all of us have to figure out how to use our freedom. And we all will make choices this week in how we use our freedom. But all of us have watched kids go off to college with newfound freedom away from home. Young men, we've watched them. Go off eager to college. Remember, we sent a kid off to Kent State University from a church I was serving in Ohio. He was a great baseball player. They played in the World Series his first year uh, as a freshman. He pitched, and, um, and he was sequestered. You know, they, they kind of pamper these D1 athletes. He was in the uh, uh, men's sports dorm and, and that. And, I mean, he, he walked in the lobby, and he was just stunned to see a guy who... Uh, was just sitting there, and he was just hitting one porn site, porn site after another porn site after another porn site after another porn site, just bang, 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 bang. We've watched men go off, come back addicted to porn and morally fractured. It's not like uh, it's only, there are only uh, s- snares for young men. We watch young women in a highly charged sexual age try to figure out how they were going to live, how they were going to dress, how they were going to talk, how they were going to conduct their lives. And given the free-flowing nature of alcohol, which lowers all defenses, then you'd have some try to figure out, well, how am I going to relate to this hookup culture in this moment? And and they they would uh, dabble in it. And before they knew it, they end up marooned. Uh, I've seen one case... They ended up uh, really undone in a mental hospital, jacked up on mental health pharmaceuticals, asking themselves, how in the world did I get here? What started with my use of freedom has turned out to be cruel bondage. Do you realize with me that addiction is bondage? Think we have any bondage issues going on as a culture how are we to view freedom what is true freedom and how do we get there how do we find freedom how do we experience true freedom jesus said in john 8:32 you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free now come with me to john come with me to romans chapter 6 In verses 15 to 23, where the Apostle Paul is going to talk about true freedom, how to have it, what is it, and how to handle it. What is true freedom? Now, in the context of Romans chapter 6 and this great letter, the first 11 verses, what do they talk about? They talk about the logic of baptism and what baptism means. Then in verses 15 to 23, he talks about the logic of conversion and how conversion to Christ changes our life. It is not going to be what we anticipate, and at first, it's going to seem counterintuitive. And if you're really tired and you're going to go off to the land of nod. here's the point. We leave one slavery to sin bondage, to embrace another slavery to righteousness that brings us unto freedom. What irony there is to the freedom of this slavery in obedience to Christ. Let me read verses 15 to 23 in Romans chapter 6. That's where we are in this great epistle as we kind of traverse through it together. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Notice that his question that he begins these verses with in verse 15 is the same question he's asked in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Now verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. This morning I want to go two different directions. First, I want us to define and understand What freedom is? What is freedom? How do we get to that freedom? Secondly, there are three questions. They're simple and straightforward, but they're really important that we want to ask our hearts this morning before we leave from this text about the kind of freedom we are experiencing in our own lives. So first, a tutorial on true freedom in life. There are three facets for our analysis of this freedom. Number 1, we've convinced ourselves that unbounded freedom is paradise. In the West and in America, we view freedom as the unbridled, unencumbered pursuit of whatever we want. Now Jesus said in John 8:34, "Everyone who sins is a slave to but we're into current definitions of freedom that approximate craze, maniac freedom, maybe represented by Robert the Bruce in Braveheart with Mel Gibson. You know, freedom with a face painted blue and white. That's the kind of freedom our culture is into. And they would even argue, hey, this is what it means to be an American, Thomas Jefferson writes the Declaration of Independence in 1776. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with inalienable rights, including the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We read the pursuit of happiness and say liberty in America means I can do whatever I want. And whatever makes me happy, that's my right. While in the 18th century when Thomas Jefferson wrote those words of happiness, he was talking about the virtuous vision of the meaning of that term in the 18th century where we work together as a people in the community of a country to give ourselves to the common good that would promote the most human flourishing that would include self-sacrifice. And the happiness that we would experience would be an aggregate corporate happiness that we would have as we all live self-governed and self-disciplined. We are way away from that. The pursuit of happiness is whatever I want and I do whatever I want, and whatever makes me happy is my right in the country in this moment. Then it is captured in a 1992 Supreme Court decision. 1973, Roe v. Wade legalizes abortion. 1992, they review it. Many thought, oh, they're going to overturn it because it's not based on good law uh, in 92, they looked at it in the Casey case, and it was a narrow decision, but in favor affirming the Roe v. Wade decision of 73. But Justice Kennedy wrote a sentence that puzzled people when he wrote the majority of opinion. The sentence is this. At the heart of liberty, talking about freedom, and don't, aren't we freedom-loving Americans? At the heart of liberty is the right... To define one's concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. End of quote. Now, people read that sentence and said, what in the world was he talking about? This is a a distinguished jurist who wrote this sentence. One called it, this is like New Age American jurisprudence. Now, where did this ever come from, these mysteries and defining freedom this way? Now, I ask you this, where have all these unbridled, where have all these definitions of unbridled freedom taken us as a culture? I'm not super old, but I'm working on it. And I can't remember a day when we were more beset in Western culture with addictions, bondage, and indulgences that are tying us into terrible pretzels from which we cannot extricate ourselves. We've convinced ourselves that unbridled freedom is paradise. Now the second facet of defining this freedom that we want to think about is each one of us is a slave. Let me read two verses. This is Jesus' take on freedom. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're the offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free. They were unconscious to the bondage that they were in, and so are we till the grace of God puts its arms around us and opens our eyes and opens us counterintuitively. It doesn't seem right to the glory of hopping into slavery to Jesus and subjection to him, which is the passageway to true and enduring freedom and joy in life. According to verse 19 in this passage, it's not a question of, well, all right, who's a slave and who's not? No, we're all slaves. We either are either a slave to sin and this breach of the law of God, breaking of the law, or we are a slave to God and to righteousness, having attached ourselves in loyal submission, out of gratitude, To God, for Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. Please notice how these slaveries, and can we use the word metastasize? We often use that word next to cancer. Uh, If cancer spreads, it's called metastatic cancer. Uh, It metastasizes, it grows. Well, slaveries metastasize. They start at one level, and we get deeper into it. Isn't that what he says in verse 19? I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, what happened when we did that? Leading to more lawlessness. So, now present your members as slaves to righteousness. What happens when we do that? It leads to sanctification. The idea is that whatever we give ourselves to in subjection, whatever we give ourselves to in loyalty and submission and obedience, as we give ourselves to it, we get deeper into it. Uh, Either we get deeper into indulgence in sin... Or we grow, and this is the glory of walking with Jesus, we grow forward into the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, and we grow in righteousness unto a sanctified life, a life that is distinct, a life that looks more like Jesus, a life that is separate. That's what's being talked about here. The grip of these slaveries, either to Christ and righteousness or to sin, keeps taking us deeper and deeper into the center of that slavery. You see, the ultimate slippery slope is to make a deal with our soul and say, now look, here's the deal. We'll just do a little bit. Just a little bit and we will be okay. Just a little bit. We'll dabble. We'll dabble. Well, this verse doesn't talk about dabbling. This verse talks about spiraling Closer and closer and closer and deeper to the center. Oh, Eric, I'll just do a little bit Then pick any of the range of the cards. And Satan has a million for the table. Take gambling. By the way, you know we're, we're going to have to repent and let uh, Pete Rose into the Hall of Fame because um, you know they're opening the gambling counter at the uh, you know baseball stadium now for the Reds. So how can you hold Beatty out of the? Uh Cooperstown, when you're having all this stuff, so that, that's now the discussion this week. And it, it, it makes a consistent point, does it not? Some say, oh, I'll just, I'll just gamble a little bit. You've been around anybody who uh, got into gambling? See, Eric, you sound like a fundamentalist preacher. Don't gamble. Well, I'm just talking about an indulgence, and, and, and people just crawl in, and then find that it gets into the deep end really quick. I mean, take it, pick, you know, whatever you want. A self-focus on pride. Eric, I'm just, I'm just going to be proud in this one area of my life. It's pretty outstanding. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good in this area. And I've I got some good skills. And, and um, it, it helps me with a little influence and power. And I kind of like that influence and power. But I'm just dabbling in this area. I mean, pride will eat our hearts. All drinking, I'll, I'll just drink a little bit. Just a little bit. Porn, I'm you know. Once a week, a little bit, not much. Revenge, I don't do it very often, Eric, but I'll tell you what, if I get really upset, you know, I, it kind of feels good to put that revenge gear in my transmission and uh, fire off a few revolutions. That, that, that kind of feels good. covetousness I don't do it very much, Eric, just just a little bit. I mean, you know, I think about what could be, I yearn for what could be, I desire for what could be. Uh, I've even called this financial planning, you know. Uh, no, I'm not against financial planning. I'm just. Uh, oh, Eric, you know, uh, we're in the same work area. All right, her cubicle's not next to mine, but um, I mean, everybody's got to eat lunch somewhere, so just one lunch, you know, just once in a while. Just a little bit of conversation, a little teasing, a little humor. Um, think of Luke 15. You think that guy, Steve read the passage, you think that guy had the idea, you know what? The best thing I could ever experience is the freedom of getting away from the tyranny of my father. Well, how'd that work out for him? When the pigs were eating better than he was, remember, he's a Jewish boy next to a pig, caring for pigs. That would have been hard to take. They don't hang out with swine. But the pigs are eating better than he is. Sin just doesn't want a little bit of us. It reaches for all of us. But here's the delight. So it is with righteousness. Uh, That's what verse 19 is saying. As we start down a path, it just grabs more of our heart. And it grows. Not in a bad way like metastatic cancer. In a really good way about the delight of finding more about the interiors of freedom and true freedom in life. Apart from guilt and shame. Please note, verse 19 is an imperative. It's not optional. It's not like, well, you know, those, those special forces followers of Jesus, they need to do that. Not, 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 not me. Present your members as slaves to righteousness. That's a command. It's not optional. Whoever wants to, no, it's like all of you must. And you say, well, why would he be so demanding? Why do you look at it like that? Why don't we view it as the very passageway to freedom, true freedom, what we've always yearned for. Now, the third facet is followers of Jesus have simply changed masters and sustain a joyful freedom in subjection to Christ. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 18. The glory of conversion is that we are released from the bondage of sin slavery. Note that what we are released unto. We are released unto a new slavery. It's a new allegiance to obedience to Christ. Remember Jesus' invitation? Matthew Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. Everybody said, hey, wait a minute, I qualify. And I will give you rest. All oh, rest? I need rest. I want whatever this is. I want it. Then he says this, Take my yoke. What? I don't want a yoke. I want the rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you shall find rest for your souls. The very thing that we want is found yoked up in obedience with Jesus Christ. That's not bondage. That's not prison. That's freedom as we want it to truly experience. As we yield ourselves to Christ, we need to remember that slavery is freedom. And freedom is slavery. This is the irony, the paradox of it all. Eric, I thought I got rid of the slavery of sin and I was done with slavery. No, we just trade it out. We trade having an allegiance to sin and bowing down and kissing the feet of our flesh and our own indulgence. And we give ourselves to the freedom of obeying Jesus Christ. And the grace of God gives us an enablement to do that. Look at verse 17, once slaves. Verse 18, set free from sin. John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. We must discard the cultural party line that true freedom is doing what we want. True freedom is doing what God wants for us. That's true freedom. You think Samson was free? In the Old Testament, would you call him free? That dude had a divided heart and very much wanted to follow his flesh around and satisfy it. He was in prison, walking around in plain sight. In bondage to his lust that cost him. True freedom is found in bondage to the way of righteousness that God calls us to. Now, three questions for our hearts this morning, and we'll go home and give ourselves all week long with all of our might to the thrill of being a slave to righteousness. They're simple and straightforward questions. There are three of them. Question number one, who is our master? John eight thirty four. everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Matthew 6.24, Jesus in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount said, none of you can have two masters. You can only have one. Kent Hughes said, all humanity serves under one of two slaveries, either sin, which leads to death, or obedience that leads to righteousness. Slaves serve a master. This text grabs a hold of our conscience and says, Whom do we serve? Can it be said of you, can it be said of me, that righteousness is our master whom we serve? Second question. Do we yield ourselves as slaves to righteousness? Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God, thinking of what God did for him in Christ Paul, as he's writing, breaks out in a doxology. Thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. The receipt of this free gift of salvation comes with an embrace of a new life. Notice the language, become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. You say, from the heart. Eric, didn't he start with the heart in the beginning of the book of Romans? Yes, he did. Romans 1, 5. God has given me the privilege to go to the Gentiles and call them to, here's his phrase, the obedience of faith. Well, Eric, I'm for faith. I got a little faith. Just not super big on obedience. No, in the Bible, those are two in the same. The one who believes manifests that belief through obedience, the obedience of faith. Here it is. Verse 17. Become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. I love walk through the Bible's gestures for the passages of the Bible, uh, the the sweeping history. It comes to Saul and the the gesture for Saul. They're all hand gestures. Saul had a half of a heart. He was half-hearted toward our Lord. David had a full heart, a man after God's own heart. I like that. He says, we are obedient from the heart. You ever seen anybody half-hearted, involved in anything? You know, Cedarville's out in the middle of nowhere, and Cornfield's actually near uh, Springfield, Ohio, and Green County, uh, and um, Cedarville once recruited an inner-city basketball player from Baltimore to come and play at Cedarville. And, you know, that's really a shock to leave inner city Baltimore and come out in the middle of nowhere to Cedarville. And he was at practice in his first fall, and uh, he, he was not manifesting much effort at all. He was guarding a guy and kind of stick out his arm. And then they'd throw the ball on the other side and he'd stick out his arm. And it upset the coach. This guy had a, like a Division I body, and he thought, man, this guy's going to turn the program around. He's from inner city Baltimore. He's had an extraordinary high school career, you know. So he, there he is. The coach whistled to practice. He stopped. Donnie, what are you doing? He looked at him and said, I'm hungry. (laughs) And it was just about him trying to figure out what in the world is Cedarville and, and, and where it is. And he was half hearted in his effort. You think as God looks over the body of Christ, those who claim to be followers of Jesus, he sees anybody. With this kind of an effort following Jesus. Obedient from the heart. Is that us? Is that you? This is about embracing Christ's way of life. A pattern of life, gospel life. Second Timothy one, thirteen. Follow the pattern of the sound words you have received from me. This pattern. You see, Jesus comes with a package. And it's a package of righteousness to which we are called. And it's a portal unto freedom. But we must embrace it. No, Eric, I I embrace Jesus. I just didn't embrace all that other stuff. You know, it's like a car. You can get all those features if you want it. I didn't want those on my car. No, Paul's saying, no, that's not right. This is standard on all vehicles. Everybody gives himself the only say Eric I'll tell you what I, I, I remember when I started I the preacher was talking about hell didn't sound too good said a few things about heaven it sounded pretty nice I like the idea of paradise and so when he talked about Jesus I said hey I'll take Jesus and so I did and I signed the card I didn't sign up for the obedience stuff well whatever happened that night dear one it is not related to what the New Testament calls conversion to Jesus Christ, because as Paul unpacks the logic of conversion, he's talking about a allegiance that is thrown in with Jesus, and with all our might, we embrace this package of living in gospel life that he's called us to. Do we do it perfectly? No, we talked about that last week with the polls. When a person embraces Jesus for heaven and missing hell, they're really loving themselves and saving their tail rather than loving Christ for all that he has done for us in inviting us to this new life. When we take on Jesus, we take on his life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So, uh, John Stott has said there are four stages of conversion here. You can see them all. Verse 17, the first part of the verse, we used to be slaves to sin. The second part of 17, we embraced Christ and obeyed this form of teaching. Then you get to verse 18, the first part of the verse, we're set free from sin. You get to the second part of the verse, we become slaves, enslaved to righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. Third question final one. Have we done the cost-benefit analysis on where our lives are headed? Look at 21, 22, and 23. Uh, Business plans are put together by uh, spreadsheets and projections on what is it going to cost and what is going to be the benefit? What are we going to reap from this investment? What is the cost-benefit analysis? Uh, Paul's doing that here. And he's asking us, have we crunched the numbers on the direction of our lives? Notice verse 21, that slavery to sin will lead us off to to cul-de-sacs of shame. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? I'm ashamed of how I lived in high school was doubly the worst kind of hypocrisy because I feigned to be a follower of Jesus, but was in arrogant disobedience of God, enslaved to habits that were ungodly. And the wages paid to me were conviction, a gracious gift of God, and shame. Now, Vince Habner along the way, the old mountain preacher, long ago in heaven, he preached at Calvary, so whenever I run across a quote from him, I, 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 like, I, I love to listen to him. I would laugh through most of his messages because he, he would carve out these mountain pithy phrases. They were so funny. At the same time, he was surgically like chopping up your heart and calling you to holiness. But he said, people used to blush when they were ashamed. Now they're ashamed if they blush. Modesty has disappeared in a brazen generation with no fear of God before its eyes, mocks at sin. We're so fond of being called tolerant and broad-minded that we wink at sin when we ought to weep, end of quote. Interesting. There is no benefit, none, no fruit that's worth it to a life given To sin, which brings shame. There's no benefit to a shameful life of slavery to sin. Why continue? Where can we sign up for slavery for righteousness? You do so when you receive the free gift of salvation. That's what verse 23 is all about. Many of us have used this verse to help unbelievers understand their plight before God and the glory of God's gift for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord it's actually written to believers isn't that interesting have you received the free gift of salvation one clearly not earned or deserved do you understand that the wages of sin is death eternal separation from God in the end? Do we recognize it? Do we buy it? Has God brought you here this morning to receive it, the free gift of eternal life? Has God brought you here this morning to make you more keenly sensitive to his call to freedom? He wants to give us freely the very thing that our soul yearns for, and it's found counter-intuitively in subjection to Jesus Christ, our Lord, which is the call of this text this morning. Let us be found endeared to him in obedience with a resolute, full heart given to righteousness. Heavenly Father, preaching is easy and living is another matter. But as your text issues a warrant this morning for our hearts, we come to turn ourselves in, to give ourselves to you. Grant that even in this closing song, we would use the lyrics as an expression of resolve to you to live with all our might, pursuing righteousness in thanksgiving for Jesus Christ our Lord who loved us and gave himself for us. Oh, Lord, thank you for Jesus, who has called us to the life we've always wanted. Grant by your grace that we experience from you enablement to pursue righteousness with all of our might. Speak to our hearts. Listen to us pray. Use the word by the Spirit to shape your people this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing.